0: Fourteenth, nineteen eighty-five. Michael Jackson paid this amount to own the entire back catalog—twelve million of material by the Beatles. Twelve million. million. Oh, keep
1: going. Higher or lower? Well, twenty. Keep going. To five. No. Seven point two four six.
0: I would have guessed a hundred, but um, but it's forty-seven point five million. Which uh, apparently angered Paul McCartney to no end when he was the very person who could have bought it. Yeah. With well he was the one who told Michael Jackson about the auction. Oh. So he undercut him. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty wild. But I mean, can you imagine buying the Beatles catalogue for fifty million dollars? Yeah. Like that
1: seems like a good buy. I was if yeah. you have the money, obviously. I mean I was a tiny bit short at the time. Well yeah, eighty five. Yeah. I think my net worth was fourteen
0: dollars. I was five. Yeah. Mostly in comic books at the time. So I have a real question. I have a real answer. Okay. Is it pho? Is it pho? pho? What is this? It's pho. It's pho. Are you sure? I am ninety nine point nine percent sure. Because it's everybody pho. that I tell that we're going to eat some Vietnamese like pho. rice noodle soup, they go, Oh, so you're gonna get pho?
1: It's because that's the American way to say it, okay. and I don't know if that's the it's the right way to say it if you're just being, if you're using American phonetics. You know how I know you're right? No, because
0: there's a there's a place that you took me to one time, and it was called Faux King, and Faux King doesn't make sense, but the other pronunciation does. <laughs> I was about. <laughs> So let's just not say it. We'll leave it at that. So I am sure, I'm absolutely sure that you're correct. I'm not even going to look it up. We're just going to say that. that's little, how you say it. It's got a little wedge above it. Yeah, I don't know how those little accent mark works. I don't. But, I don't get me either. But I'll say that you forced me to eat pho for dinner for two nights in a row. It was my birthday weekend. It was your birthday weekend. So happy birthday, brother.
1: Yeah. Thank you. <laughs>
0: yeah, no, it was okay. Like a
1: year. You know, I feel okay waking up after a night of pho. Yeah, it just, it's very light, so it doesn't Fun. fill you. Yeah, it's very it's very filling, but it doesn't make you feel. Plus, there's a lot of broth. The, yeah, pl- a plus, lot of yeah the, yeah, the broth is hydrating, a little
0: bit salty, a little bit mm-hmm. tasty. Um, so, yeah, it's not my favorite thing in the world. But they had chicken wings on the menu, and I... You should have tried them. I stayed away just because, you know, I always eat chicken wings. So, uh, mm-hmm. we're driving on the way back from the Punisher Positional AG Cup Qualifier. Mm-hmm. That was a pretty... Awesome match. That was your first Beamer match. Uh,
1: yeah, yeah, first Beamer, yep. and um, I know we talked about. There's an episode we had Michael Beamer on at the beginning of this year, if I remember. Yeah, yeah. Um, so if you want to see that one, it was the one labeled three way with Michael Beamer. Um, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't. It was. Yeah, we had him on, um, and it was because we wanted to talk to you know one of the match directors that at least I felt um, he, he's a very very good match director and how he's able to lay out. A course of fire that challenges shooters in multiple facets and none of them are ever incredibly difficult for the most part um, you know when I think about certain courses of fire that will always stress lots of movement and I mean lots of movement big changes or big pans um, or the, but the rest of the course of fire is very simple or the target sequences are very complicated almost arbitrarily but the rest of it feels kind of contrived. I didn't. I don't ever feel that way about Michael's courses of fire. Well, what um, I will say is that I
0: think there was only one single target stage that I can remember. It was that um, pig or hog or whatever. Oh, that's right. I that think was there one. was only one single target stage. There, but that stage had a lot of movement. There were some other one distance stages, but those but one had mul- distance had multiple targets. Yes, and you had to shoot them, and sometimes in different orders. Um, so. There was a lot of stages that had multiple ways to test you mentally. Some of the most simple things that he did that I don't see very often is he would use different shape targets on different berms, and the berms would also have the other shape target on it because it was yep. being used for another stage. And I thought that was super clever, whether he did that on purpose or not, I'm sure he did, um, just because of, or because it might have been limited space. The other thing that I thought was very clever is the target placards were not... They were, were not sequential. obvious.
1: Yeah, it wasn't like, oh, we're on stage one. Look for all the ones. Now you're stage shooting, two. You're Look shooting Echo twos. three,
0: and then you're shooting fourteen, and then you're shooting hotel. You know, like you just you're mixed up in the target distances and the target shapes and the target identifiers. And then the positions might have been this time out of a square hole, this time out of a rectangle hole, circle hole and the connex. Like, I think that was my favorite stage of all the stages. I don't know if we want to go there first, but, man, since I already said it, I have to describe yeah. it. There's Do this it. There's this stage that you were up on top of the second level of the connex box. Um, you're engaging two targets from, from uh, five different windows, and all these windows in the connex are different shapes. Four different windows. Four four windows. Four different windows. Yep. And there's three different shapes. Yep. So you could choose uh, any windows you want as long as you used one of each shape. So you're going to duplicate
1: one shape. Uh, <coughs> so you got to scan it through this. it a different position. You didn't use the same right. position in that shape. You, Yeah, you'd have to go to a new version. There were like four to five of each shape. Yeah. So four well. positions, three different types of shapes. You had to use at least three types of yeah. shapes. And they're all across. Like So all the diamonds are the first middle. Then the rectangles are in the middle section. Um, and then the far right section was all... Squares. Squares. Um, yeah. So you couldn't, you, you, I mean, imagine the length of a connex. You were forced to go the length of a connex or very close to it, depending on how low. And the, because they were like the taller standing height, normal height stuff was towards the extremes, the lefts and rights. If you wanted to go to the middle and like limit your movement left and right, you had to go very low. Like you'd mm-hmm. use super low diamonds and they were uncomfortably low. So you'd have to pick... One of the others, which forces you further to the edge, which means you're moving more to the next position. Um, and then this yeah. had a
0: couple of other mental things, like like I was talking about the targets, the target shapes. The first target was on the far left berm, and it was a circle. The second shape um, was a ipsic, and it was, you know, a hundred yards further in the middle of the range. So you're panning maybe fifteen degrees or something, which isn't yep. a huge deal. But they were, there was an ipsic target on the first berm, and somebody in our squad shot the ipsic on the first berm and the ipsic in the second berm and and he was a little frustrated, but um, I'm glad I didn't go first on that because I would have done the same thing because other stages (laughs) were shooting that Ipsic and when I was spotting, I saw it move once. I'm like, oh, there's our target and if I wouldn't have had a time to watch that stage a couple times, I might have got that mixed up and then the other difficulty with the stage not to mention the target shapes was the target shooting order. You had to shoot left, right from the first position, right, left from the second position, and then left, right, left, and right, left, right. So you had three or four different um, mental things you had to do, all while panning with a 12-15 wind that sometimes went to 12 o'clock and sometimes went to 1 o'clock, but the average was definitely right to left. So there was uh, a lot of stressors on the stage and I felt lucky that they gave us a minute forty-five for the for the whole yeah. match. To be quite honest, it it felt a <coughs> little stressful on stages like that, but it felt comfortable on most of them. I don't know what, what
1: did you think about the part times. Um, I like them at a minute forty-five. It gives you enough time, I mean, especially you know we I think we've talked about it in the past about you know ninety versus minute forty-five versus two, and that. In certain ranges with low winds, I think 90 is appropriate. In ranges with really high winds, I think two minutes is appropriate. This range is generally windy, but it's shorter range. The time of flight considered, a minute 45 is perfect. You can break clean shots. Take the moment to, say, fix a bag. Still watch your shots and make perfect corrections. Um, Back to the center. Asterisk, as we're going to talk about that. Yeah, Um, my opinion on the times is it should have been less... Yeah, I think there were a couple stages that if we had had smaller targets, then stage I think the times would have felt more appropriate. Um, at least, again, this is an AG Cup match. so That's maybe, why I say that. Yeah, minute. I mean, if they're 90 seconds to 95 or even 100 seconds or 105, it, you're really cutting hairs. I looked at my timer multiple times, and there were about five stages where I was within... Five seconds or so of timing out me too um and that was again conscious because i was going slow to make sure i got all my impacts as much as i could but that said i didn't mind it i think you know generally speaking the individuals who are newer to the sport they're coming to shoot that match they needed every second of that minute 45 to navigate the course of fire i think the more experienced shooters probably didn't need it or at least they may have used it unknowingly because they were either breaking shots hastily and they should have used it. The only reason I'll disagree is uh, you said the
0: newer shooters needed it. The newer shooters still timed out at a minute 45 so whether they had it or not I think a lot of them were going to time out. I think the fact that it was an AG Cup match it would have pushed people to make different decisions and I I saw a lot of pros still timing out so maybe I'm not not sad about it being a minute 45. I just think it would have been a Totally different match if two things would've happened. If the oh, wind yeah. if the wind would have showed up, it More. would have been yeah, it would've been worse. Now there was decent amount of winds up to seven to ten miles an hour at times gusting, maybe up to twelve to fourteen, but but it was pretty it was, it was moderate it was pretty static in the direction for the most part a couple people got <laughs> screwed on a couple stages <laughs> and you know that that just happens but yeah especially when you got a 12 30 you know switchy like not really switchy but kind of value is changing i don't think it went past 12 o'clock very many times it did well, I, but yeah, i shot in two of them right yeah. but and a couple people in our squad did i think he got got one of them too but um for the most part, it was the fact that you it changed value pretty quick from twelve to one thirty, and that's a big change when you got a ten mile an hour average. Yeah. Um, but if the wind would have showed up, the match would have been totally different. Or if the par times would have been ninety seconds, the match would have been totally different for the top thirty guys.
1: I agree I with that. Yeah, I think you would have seen more separation at the top, forcing people to try to get a shot off that they're not ready to, and that usually forces a miss, or it forces a misread on the plate or a misread on the berm. Um, Coupled with, a say, a, right. a less secure shot on the next one. What did make it difficult
0: is it, it rained like hell on Friday, and the berms were very soft. So people are shooting in the same hole off the side of the target, which, you know, carves out the dirt there. And it wouldn't always give you a splash. No. You know, if the berms would have been dry, you would at least saw which side you were missing on. But sometimes, based on the switch you had when you were guessing whether you had too much wind or, or you were holding on the wrong side of the wind and... I personally think I dropped maybe three or four shots because of the fact that I just couldn't
1: see it go into a hole on the side of the yeah. of the target. So the fact that there was wet berms means no dust and not just no dirt, but no dust either on a lot of different berms. Um, and one of the learning moments I had, which came to me really late, unfortunately, um, in the day was, we've talked about it in the context of Wisconsin, where there are some um, at the Wisconsin um, matches when we held them out there, they had I'm wearing my Wisconsin shirt right now Oh yeah, you are. <laughs> Heck yeah What's up wheels? Um, <laughs> wheels up and down At <laughs> um, any rate, dust. There were, At Wisconsin there were some places where if you're smart you're actually looking for where to miss as well as where to hit. Right? You want to hit the plate but you're going to find a place to miss that's going to be visible because one side of a target may have cattails, another side may have say a grass um, clearing i'm thinking of like the helicopter that we shot off of um that was one stage where it was better to be say to the left than to the right well in this match it dawned on me why have i not been using this to my advantage the sun and the sun's angle was creating shadows differently on certain targets and sometimes the target to the right or to the left there was more light on one side of the target than the other and in the shadow it's really generally really hard to see where your bullet goes into a shadow And if you can miss on the opposite side so you just had hey do i want to be low wind or do i want to be high wind miss up the upwind or the downwind side that actually should have changed a couple different times throughout the match where i should have defaulted to let's go to the upwind side on my initial call because i'll have a much better chance at seeing the miss and i didn't do that as much as i should have there was one stage where i did and um but, but why would you try to miss on I wasn't trying way? to miss. It's, it's not so much missing. And maybe this is one of the good sideways. into the other yeah, topic we wanted to talk about. But when you are you're making saying. your wind call, expand on it. if I have a wind call that say, oh, I think it's going to be three tenths, and the target is, say, four or five tenths wide, let's say four tenths, but I have to hold three tenths, that means you are off the right edge by a tenth. So if you think that's going to get you centered, but you think it could go up from there or it could go down, whichever way you want to favor so if i said i want to go i'm not sure three tenths seems like the right call i could be two or i could go four let's call either side of that call you might be smart to go to say two tenths if the downwind the extra wind miss where the wind is gustier than Mm -hmm. you think is in the the side that's easier to see or vice versa or if you see the hole on the side of the target everybody else is hitting then you can say okay i'm gonna round up so yep um, th- another visual indicator, just on that same point, was the vertical. They had a couple of stages where the targets were very, very low to the ground, and their line of sight was over mirage. And I mentioned it to you on the Connex boxes with uh, a stage right after that, that troop line. Hey, look at target two and th- or three and four, three and four. They were there was all the paint was from the, the so-called the nipple area up through the head was completely clean. I don't mean like oh it has some bullets sporadically I mean completely clean and that's atypical of most Ipsics or ever being shot you see a centered blob well from there lower all the paint was gone and I mean left to right edge all the way down through the very bottom of the target so it's as if no one ever hit say more than two and a half tenths high which isn't high.
0: which isn't logical logical to, if you run the was analysis correct. tool it's going to put a scatter plot around the center of the aiming point which would have correct. had some up
1: to the shoulders you know you would have seen some stuff yeah and over hundreds of shooters and we shot this at the end of day one um, over hundreds of shooters you'd expect somebody would have tapped one with the wrong dope or you know something and made it high but the fact that there was nothing there Indicates that there's a reason why that's occurring, and a lot of people's first thought would be, "Oh, the ranges must be wrong." No, they were absolutely perfect. In fact, I ranged, I think, seventy-ish percent of all the targets. They were within one yard, um, and was which is within the error of a rangefinder. They were all, in my case, it was always one yard less than what was in the matchbook, and that's just because of the match, the rangefinder they used versus what I used. Um, and in that case. When I saw that on the target, the first two three targets, first two targets were normal. Target three and target four had the paint way burned on the low. Then you go to the far target and it looks normal again. There's some paint at the bottom, there's some paint at the top, there's a band in the middle that's been beat up. The only logical conclusion to draw from that, if the range is coming back normal, is that there is some sort of visual effect that's causing people to miss low. Whether it's their, the aim point is kind of favoring low, Or mirage or some sort of atmospheric shift and so when I mentioned that to you I then watched three other shooters right after you come through all were in the top ten I think between well vying for the top ten including you Um, and they were all right at the bottom third line or just below it like barely clipping the target on the bottom edge and I'm pretty sure that was just due to the mirage layer it visually forced your aiming point lower because the target will stretch. Yeah, I,
0: when you said that, I'm like, that's a good point. When I get to that target, I'm going to aim at the top of the where all the impacts are. That's what I did, where mm-hmm. that white to gray threshold line was on the target. Which still, if I was point of aim, would have put me in the nipple level, like you said. And if if everybody else was, if I was going to be where everybody else was, it probably would have put me center. Max. You were absolutely
1: center mast. Okay, those. and. I think that was one of the big learning moments of the matches. It's confirmed it now. We've talked about it a few times, you know, off the podcast, and we've been looking at it for about a year, some change, how to understand atmospheric events when you have um, big mirage. What is it actually doing to your bullet? What is it doing to your line of sight? And I, I can't separate the two without saying, well, if we do this in the morning when there's no mirage, we get you know result A. When if we do the same thing later in the day, we get result B. And then if you go take all the other things that you have to check in order to verify a solution, you can't just go from, oh, I did this and the, I zeroed in the morning, cronored in the morning, then did something, waited a couple hours, did something else, but never cronored and zeroed again. You have to go the other way and say, you did all of those things, both before, during, and after, and verify that all of your inputs, quote unquote, match the result that you see on target. And in this case, the result that I saw on target did not match what i saw um based on all the inputs i wouldn't have changed my solution based on what i saw from the chrono nor based on what i saw from my zero and yet the result on target was say two to three tenths lower that's an indication that there is some effective mirage that can in certain cases cause it and this is not all mirage i will be no, very clear i was about just that. gonna say i'm starting to personally <laughs> hone in and i
0: think you are we, I haven't, we haven't really put pen to paper or recorded, and I don't know if we ever will because I don't, I don't want to claim to know <coughs> what the answer is, but I'm telling you, I'm starting to mentally hone in on the scenarios that will cause, mirage yep. scenarios that will cause your bullet to shift. And, you know, the only way to find out for yourself and get confidence is to know that your rifle shoots point of aim, point of impact, and then to go test it for yourself. And uh, if you do that enough, you'll, I think you'll start to see some scenarios that will more often than not, um, be repeatable. So, I guess we'll just leave it at that, because I, yeah. I don't, I don't want to get a bunch of calls and questions about but it, because I don't it, I have Raj. the answers yeah, yet. It's,
1: it's still ethereal for us. I mean, yeah. there's, I have seen some situations where it feels like, oh, I should see blank, therefore do this, and that does not work. Um, but I feel like I'm about 80 or so percent confident in when I should do something about it. Yeah. So, well, the other um, thing that, that
0: we noticed talking about Widths of targets and uh, wind, and wind budgets and stuff like that. I think we can go into that at this point, or not? Mm, yeah. Okay. So this is a good one because this is my biggest takeaway from this match in general because yes. of the fact that we had that twelve to one o'clock wind all day. Um, I found myself making making precise corrections, and I know in the AG Cup episode and the, the K and M episodes, we've talked about making half corrections. Uh, Because Mm -hmm. of your cone of fire is approaching the precision or the precision of your rifle is approaching the target size. So, you know, the chances that your one bullet is just left of your point of aim and the next bullet is just right of the point of aim could cause you to go off the plate if you make a full correction. Well, I found myself missing a a few shots, and I say a few, it was probably at least a half a dozen because I was corrected towards the center of the plate for a given wind scenario, and it was either at the low end of the wind possibility or the high end of the wind possibility, and throughout the change of the uh, wind in the course of fire, took me off the edge of the plate. So that was a long way to say, I want to find a much better way to use the whole plate for the wind scenario potential yep i don't know if that makes sense to people i mean chris katalik and i had a a really good conversation about it you and i had a conversation about it so Mm -hmm. let's just kick it off and have a few more words on the subject yeah
1: um you know this same issue i mean it cost me the match to be very blunt there was a a head stage the jihadi heads that we shot out of the helicopter Uh, i dropped four shots lost the match by two um, was leading in day one, but I, I kind of knew, you know, having shot there before, that the day one, depending on where you start, that match has some areas that are easier to shoot just because of the terrain and the, the way where you shoot, um, and that's generally the middle section, which is where we started. So knowing that. I got through all of that very, very clean. Two shots down. Um, There were going to be a couple people who did the same. No, uh, three shots down. Yep, Yep, three shots down. And there were going to be some other people who came down, you know, after 120 rounds to hit 117. you are like, oh, yeah, I got a good chance at this. Well, Mm -hmm. yeah, for sure. Um, But there were going to be other people capable of doing the same thing through that same stretch of the match. Um, Flip the days and make it all the way around the horn. Um, There were most of the shots that I had missing could have been... Impacts at least one miss followed by a bunch better impacts. Um, So I would have probably dropped seventy percent less points. So I would have went from a dropping ten to approximately three to four, maybe um, on day two, if I had employed this strategy. And that happens like this. One of them was Jihadi heads. I got on the target. It was the wind had gone was generally from about one thirty at about six to eight miles an hour, gusting up and down, but one thirty give or take prior to the stage right as i start prepping my rifle and there's a shooter in the bay and i'm about to walk up i can feel the wind switching to a headwind this changes your wind call dramatically as you go from 130 to head to, a, to like a 12 o'clock ish the angle change is causing more variation in your hold than the speed change and it gets close to a headwind, and uh, just a little from the right, maybe twelve thirty, and my holds go from approximately, you know, let's call it a point two at the near to a point eight at the far, down to a point one to a point two at the far. So point one near, point two far. That's a big difference, right? These targets are only about three Oh, four tenths wide. The give first or take. one was four tenths at least, and then
0: yeah, they, I remember the that last fourth one
1: being like three. <laughs> third and fourth targets, or something like in fifth target, were closer to three tenths. Well, here's the deal: we never, we didn't measure them, so no, we can't say that for sure. But that's part of this what we need to talk yep. about. So, on this stage, it's at twelve thirty, and I had a wind plan for what to do. You know, if the mile per hour equivalent goes up, that's no problem. The issue was. As I shot the first two, I impacted center, impacted center, and then I go down low into the helicopter. At this point, I can because I'm inside of an object and the wind was now turning away, going back to this 130 value, but I'm inside of a shielded object that doesn't let me feel it. A mm. lot of the other shooters were up on top and you were tall enough to go on top twice. I yeah, was not. Sorry. So I didn't have any other relative feedback to go, what's the wind doing right now? I could only look for mirage. I could not feel anything. And I broke my first shot on target three from down low and it misses left. I'm like, okay, that's no problem. That means I was off by, you know, about one and a half miles per hour on my wind call. No big deal. Add that, measure it, come back, bang, impact, go to the next target. And now I'm just following that column, send the next shot on target four, miss downwind again whoa okay add that all right guys i was off now a mile mile and a half again send that impact go to target five miss again and i'm like what now it's up another so i'm now in my extreme high bracket and use the low end of my high bracket missed again and it went off wind and this is to your point you know when we're talking about centering around i sent all four rounds consecutive as a miss and then center. Put it back to center. Miss, put it back to center. Miss, put it back to center. And then miss, miss. Again, because of the same reason. If I had done this other strategy, which is not using to center, but putting the next round on the far right edge. And I think this is the the nuance part of this, which this is a very advanced topic. You know, if you're a new shooter listening to this, you're like, oh, so I have to do... I have to not center my rounds. No, we know where our rounds are going. So we have so much confidence in the precision of our rifles that using the right third, effectively skinnying the target and that I'm not gonna miss on the right edge very often um, is something you should do only when you have extreme confidence in your position, you have a very low wobble zone among other things. However, if assume you have all that down and you've got a great position, if I had just moved those impacts from center to the center right third where i give myself a tenth on the right side and three tenths on the left from the miss um they all those bullets hit and then i stay on the correct side of the target going all the way out and i get a nine out of ten but this is a hindsight is
0: 2020 scenario you're you're describing i think the piece that brings it back to making a ton of sense is the fact that you started the stage on the lowest potential ever wind scenario. Correct. So if you know that, then correcting just bold of center makes sense. So it's not just, hey, I missed off the left edge, correct that to the right edge because it was a right wind, correct that to the upwind side, because if you do that sometimes and the wind is, you started the wind in the strong wind scenario and it's going to the low side, you're screwing yourself the other way around. Correct. I think you need to understand very first before you start the stage what the two wind scenarios maximum wind scenarios are and what your target widths are and then you can kind of play this game of okay if i start on the low wind scenario i better start making corrections to towards uh, the past the center line um, to the high wind scenario if the wind is picking up and that's the
1: critical component i started in the low and didn't think of what if the wind is increasing how much could it increase instead of trying to get i never got ahead of it you were chasing i was chasing the wind and always one step behind so by the time i would transition it had picked up again and it picked up again so instead of chasing the wind getting ahead of it and trying to miss one on the right and I, i don't mean trying to miss but giving the the opportunity to let off on the wind and having it miss off the right was not a was not something that crossed my head it was it was just never crossed my mind it just was get it to the center get it to the center so my thought would be if you're if the value is increasing it should have made intuitive sense to me to get to the right side of the plate as quickly as possible because if it continues to increase i'll see it when i stay on the right side of the plate or extreme right edge or even potentially miss one off the right and then i know i can back off or bring that call back to center and it's now you know in the middle. That didn't happen to me. It takes
0: a lot of cojones, I think, to employ this strategy. So it's going to take me a while to get comfortable with it. But I think if you and I start by saying, Mm -hmm. when we get to a stage, we're going to measure the targets. We're going to put that on our uh, matchbook and then analyze the low and high wind scenarios and see if we can just shift our groups to the average wind for the scenario based on where the current wind is within the average wind that we could see, max bookends that we could see, have seen for that day. And it's a a tough scenario for every range, for every stage. You know, you were first on this stage too, so you didn't get the benefit of watching a couple people shoot the stage. And honestly, I don't think it would have helped much because... It wouldn't have been the situation. Yeah, you you, you went from a twelve fifteen wind to a 130 wind over the course of five targets that's very difficult to do but i've seen it happen the other
1: way around at this match in our squad as well it happened right after me so i shot it with the wind increasing it started low and increased back to normal the next and it went all the way up to like 0.8 to 0.9 on the far target which is way more than i mean we're way off the plate that's way more than what we would expect it at that time the shooter behind me uh it was jake Graves Graves goes up and he uses the same values that I use he's like yeah I hit with like a point 8 and then was it Kale Kale was right after him and ended up shooting this last target at point 3 so point, again I think point 4 it was like and was then I was low. after him and I needed point 25 correct so you could see like just in a, this is a span of about 10 a little over 10 to 12 minutes we have quadrupled the values or there's a four times the range of the number you need to hit the target. And these targets were a little bit tricky, right? They're, they're called Haji heads, but they're they're these little uh, they're almost, I guess, hourglass, somewhat shaped targets. Um, they were somewhat head targets. They don't really look like it. They kind of look like a tornado to me with a little bit wide of a base. It's Not wide of a top. Wide top, wide base. Top. Yeah. And uh, it was interesting um, in the sense that I learned something out of it. And I learned how to lose a match based on being wrong and where you place your win calls and how fast you get ahead of it. But that said, I don't feel like this match was a loss. That's the weird part. I mean, this was a great match. You finished third place. Congrats, by the
0: way. That was an awesome, awesome showing. I mean, I feel like we both shot pretty well. I had five sevens, so I wasn't able to (laughs) to hold it together. Um, I'm not going to say that I got screwed. I just, uh, I made a bad decision on one of them. Um, I gave away one point um, on a different stage, and where i was sitting at like right around 20 points down there was a ton of people in that zone so yeah i think i finished uh, tied tied for 11th or something like that so it was uh i will be back to that match. it was so fun the range was max i think 945 was the longest target and yeah. um and that was an anomaly um the second longest target was in the 850 range and most of them were in that uh five to seven three to six yeah four to seven whatever in that in Mm -hmm. that range so it was uh it was a cool range really uh really well maintained um it would have been a totally different match too if it was like last year 105 degrees and 100 percent humidity and all the wind and then raining and it was uh with the weather was very forgiving i think this match i i have never shot there before but i got the sense that this was an, an
1: abnormal uh environmental condition for this place it absolutely was yeah every time i've shot it it's been like we have heavy heavy tailwinds we've got the wind out of the six o'clock before which feels just about as brutal as what we shot out of the head or near headwind um it's usually very hot this was about as easy as i think it's been for temperatures and been pretty relaxed pretty um i guess inviting engaging um but then the other side of it uh we did have a lot of water um, so that made things weird when we get a lot of humidity and this is something that I've started paying attention to kind of going back to the atmospherics there were a couple of key components that I think I did really well at this match that I used from the Night Force match Um, so to tie these back in where I think this helped me get to where um, I performed really well this weekend the Night Force match because it was so foreign to me and there are no indicators downrange I mean, you didn't get dust, it had rained a lot as well and there's no vegetation at all the only real indicator you had was mirage near and around the targets and trying to pay attention to what a given shot looked like versus what the mirage looked like. And then also analyzing the terrain and trying to mentally create a picture of, okay, the wind is going to flow around this object and go from here to here. My bullet crosses relative, you know, in that flow, it looks like this. This is what the wind would be doing. And it's kind of like imagining you're you're throwing a... You know like a little sailboat into a river so to speak and it's got to make it all the way across the river and you've got just straight water versus say eddies or currents or pockets or a little bend where would you have to throw the boat in order to make it continue going across and arc back to where you want it to land um, and that's not always a constant if you've looked at and spent any time around rivers you know that rivers have different seams of high and low flow and no different if you will in the air so i'm watching a lot of mirage at night force using that to my advantage and i picked up a lot of little tricks and tips um, in just looking at what happens and when it's changing when it's boiling um to use here at punisher for that reason when you have a lot of rain you can guess that if you're going to get rain followed by a lot of sun you're likely going to have high mirage for I mean, sure almost like there's almost no two ways about it if you have a wet dewy morning when the sun comes up, you will get a ton of mirage. And it takes a while. If it's really dry, you'll likely still get it, but it's not going to be as intense. So um, it's not just sun that creates mirage. It's the heat differential with some humidity that seems to create mirage. And when you're watching that ripple, the hard part is knowing the difference between, say, what looks like a 90-degree mirage and a 45-degree mirage, I can't really see that difference yet. I think I might be able to as I get close to, like, almost looking straight into in the boil condition and the, the trick was to figure out between you boil and where you're looking how many degrees is that because that gives you a rough angle angle indication for sure but in when it's shifting on you in terms of angle um, I'm hesitant to point my rifle off angle to go look for the boil and then come back to target. (laughs) No, but you can do that during the stage prep and
0: you can kind of say, Oh, I feel this wind switch. And then use your vinyls to look for where the boil is. And then maybe scribe that on the ground or on a piece of paper. Or, um, you know, we got a buddy in our squad that always has his hand on his phone with the, um, with the compass compass thing out, you know, and he's, he's always documenting that stuff so i think that that could be a useful tool to do what we were saying before put some bookends on the ebbs and flows of what the potential scenarios for wind are because you know you've said it many times and brian says it and i think it came from email or somebody but it's a non-deterministic variable you can't for sure know what it's going to be in the future but you can say uh with certainty what it has been and what the min and max is angle wise and min and max velocity wise and you can have that that range of effects so i'll take those min and max in especially these headwind scenarios and i'll put i'll put a column for zero wind like a 12 o'clock wind so i know if i never see it go past 12 o'clock to 11 30 um, I'm going to put that in my uh, one of my wind column so I know, hey, what is just spin drift? And then what does um, a 1230 wind do? And what's an 1130 wind do? And what's in a one o'clock wind do? Because the, the velocity really wasn't changing much. We had some gusts and some lulls. Those are easy to pick out of the mix. But if you just take the static average wind of seven miles an hour, which is what windy.com said it was going to be all day, and you put that and you change the angle of it, um, you can get a pretty good idea of. What your max and min wind hold is, and unfortunately, it's pretty big swing between one o'clock and eleven thirty. Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> unfortunately,
1: it's a target width or more. Yeah, um, the I did use a lot of the angles for the min maxes, but that's where you can use the full value equivalent as well. If you're if you're newer to this, um, and even I still I default to that. My brain thinks better in that mode for the full value equivalent. What do we mean by that? So, if you have a wind at three o'clock that's ten miles an hour. We'll um, say that's one mile per hour. Let's just say that's equivalent to, say, a 12, 15, 12, not quite twelve, thirty wind um, at, say, 10 miles an hour. Um, yeah. So, and when you words, look at the Mirage, you can start to see that. Yeah. And what you're looking what is called is it's the crosswind component only. So you're trying to take a wind and look at the crosswind component only Um, which portion of the wind at whatever direction it's going would be going left to right or right to left versus the part that's coming at you you're taking that part out and just using the left to right part there's books on that you can read applied ballistics um, series of books to understand the crosswind component your Kestrel also have it if you want to see the differentials and what it means just click into weather mode in the Mm -hmm. Kestrel you can see the crosswind component based on an angle there's some apps that do it as well so long story short when you think of what a wind rose does, when you're when it tells you here's the the value and here's what the sort of the equivalent value is, there's a diagram that will show you that for a given speed, what is the equivalent value, and it gets the speed gets lower and lower as you click closer to one. Even though that it might be a constant ten mile per hour wind, as you go from three o'clock to twelve, or nine o'clock to twelve, nine to six, or three to six. The value that you shoot it in gets lower and that's a really intuitive way to shoot a stage because you'll be able to say I think it's more of a headwind cool that means you're in like a one two three mile per hour say value for out of a ten. and then as you get closer to one okay so now it's three four five as you get closer to two okay now it's five six or seven maybe eight As you get closer to three now it's a seven eight or a nine or maybe a ten and that system will really help you understand how to handle wind angles much better. It's When you add then the varying in intensities, it gets a little bit tricky, but uh, wind is not so easy to master. That's why we still drop the majority of our points to wind or else we wouldn't.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think the target sizes were perfect for this match. Um, like we said, if the wind would have showed up, it would have been a different story, and that's why they were the way they were. The, people hit a lot of targets. I mean, the person... Yeah. Ben Gossett and Austin Bushman both only dropped, I think, 11 points the whole match, and you were at 13 in third place, so that's pretty incredible for a pro match of this difficulty with the mental aspects. Um, I think they both said that they made one point worth of mental errors, and uh, so dropping only 10 points on on 200 shots exactly is is pretty good, 95% of the course of fire. Um, So I just, I know that uh, Beamer expected that to be closer to 90%. So yeah, he said low nineties so when we yeah, talked 91 yeah. or something. So wasn't too far off, but I think that the discrepancy there was just the fact that we didn't have a
1: ton of wind. I think the discrepancy there is just, the shooters are awesome. awesome.
0: <laughs> Everything is awesome. Yeah,
1: no, I mean, it, I mean, truly, and this is another part of it. We cleaned a I lot of I wanted to talk stages. to you about this <laughs> last night, but I, when we were, um, driving and I realized I'll just save that for the podcast. Okay. Um, I This match was a really There were only, what, 15, 16 AG Cup shooters there. I say only. It's still a lot. They were all the all the good ones uh, not that I wanted to see, except Jake wasn't... Uh, what's not Jake? Morgan wasn't there. I'm like, that guy's been busy doing other stuff, but I would have loved to have seen them there. Pinch wasn't there. There were a lot of shooters not, not present a, that 30. I would have loved to have seen there. Um, that said, there were a lot of the shooters that are currently at the top were there. And a lot of the Midwestern shooters as well. It was... Really eye opening when I got done with for day one, and I'm thinking, okay, they all had it like what I'm like, they didn't have an off day, they just shot the really hard stuff. And I remember where the hard stuff was, so I figured it's probably going to be a roll reversal tomorrow. Got a really lights out, and I shot really well. But I got to thinking about how few points um, when I was talking to Derek at one point, like he kind of jokingly was like, You're down three, bro, that's almost an insult. Like. And he was—I mean, he's obviously happy for me. He's like, "Good job, you're killing it. Keep after it." But his statement wasn't wasn't lost on me. You know, um, match directors are designing courses of fire, and I had a conversation with someone else about another match. And when the course of fire is set, there's a consideration that has to be made for the mid pack and lo- newbie, a new shooter, a mid pack shooter, and a pro level shooter, and then also now an AG Cup shooter, and they are not the same. Um, and the, you know i think it was clay we were talking about his mat yeah it was clay um, we were talking about his match and how i said yeah i really liked that layout where you shot all squares if sans a few they're all 0.4 to 0.5 wide period all targets were 0.4 to 0.5 scaled perfectly so that you shot the same angular target across the board and it was 0.4 when it was inside of like let's say around 400 450 and then from there to seven it was like 0.45 and from there to like a thousand it was uh 0.5 and i'm like okay seems legit one of the issues was hey if i make the target sizes say an inch bigger pro scores and ag cup scores go up dramatically because we miss by a fraction of an inch often Whereas a brand new shooter may miss by several feet or dozens of inches and never see a correction and still miss by doubles dozens of inches. Yeah. So the differential is that the better shooters go up very quickly and that new shooters and mid-pack shooters are not gonna gain the same way. So you think about it as a curve and the percentage of points we already, you know, if skill level, if the skill is on the bottom axis, your points and your skill, uh, impact percentage is on the left, skill is on the bottom. As you go to the right, it just increases. But as you make the targets bigger, the far right side gets way higher. You get a higher percentage as you have more skill just because the targets are very small change, a very small amount larger. Mm -hmm. This is a tough challenge to solve. And I guess the question, this is the point of talking about this, is how do you think when you approach skill levels of like Gossett, um, Bushman, yourself, myself all the guys we shot with this weekend in the AG Cup plus all the ones that weren't there at what point and or how do we stress a match where we aren't going to you know, have to go hey you dropped one point because this is not a historic match where you think of dropping one or two points will win it and I think it's coming close to that in a lot of cases where we've been to dozens of matches this year there where the winner has been down around less 10. than 20 for yeah. sure, less than twenty, closer to ten. Yep. I don't know. Are you asking me what we could yeah, do about that? Do you think, to do not you think screw there's a the solution? Yeah. Do you think there's a solution, or do you think that it's the you know we have to just that's the new reality of PRS because the shooters are getting that good at the top.
0: I don't know. One thing I can think of is like the gap grind scenario where there's two there's two nested courses of fire for every stage. Or the par times are different for the pros or the AG Cup shooters. Like there's a couple different things you can do without actually changing the course of fire. I just wonder how that, how that comes into play when you stack up the ends and you got the awards and stuff like that. Like how does that? Yeah. Then it becomes more complex at the end. Those are just two things that come to mind. I I agree with you on the target size. If you make the targets an inch bigger, it's mainly gonna just separate the top shooters more from the mid pack shooters.
1: Yeah and man i i I struggle because there were multiple shooters there that i think were shooting one of their first matches if not their first match and i wouldn't have wanted them to shoot any smaller targets but i would say personally i would have loved to have seen about a tenth off of like a couple of like about five stages i wanted to see at least a tenth maybe Mm -hmm. two tenths off just because of their range like we're shooting a couple three tenths and four tenths targets that man, it's a very different scenario than what we shot off of where we had a five tenths target instead of a three tenths. And the other target was still small, but it wasn't as small as I think it could have been. Again, looking at this from an H E cup level shooter,
0: I felt like the initial targets were big on a lot of them. Mm -hmm. And the far targets were big. Like the middle targets were the ones I was most stressed out about number three or number four (laughs) in any array were always the ones like, okay, that's the one and you could just pick it out with your naked eye. Like how, um, You could pick out pick it out like the angular measurement you could say well that one is obviously smaller than the rest and it's the third or fourth target i'm not sure good or bad i'm not sure what to say or do about that i just noticed that i felt like the the close ones were super easy and the far ones were pretty easy although i missed a couple far ones once
1: (laughs) yeah yeah i I know what you mean and i'm not disagreeing with you um there was a there's a distinct feeling though that the prs pro level and ag cup level shooters are getting so incredibly good that i so this came up in my brain as i was looking at the top uh the top 25 or so on the prs website and i realized i think we're gonna have potentially more 290 class shooters this year than we've had in a long time and and then i looked through the names and it wasn't makes sense it wasn't the names that i'm used to seeing you know in years past really there's a those names are still there. They're just intermixed across the top 30. But it's only halfway through the year. Exactly, that's my point. It's only halfway through the year. There are people with 285 and up that are not normally in that range that are able to acquire those because of skill. They've gotten better. There's names that are brand new. And we have added more shooters at the top of this sort of 288, 285, and 300 point level than we have in prior years at this point in the season which means it's likely only going to increase. It's probably going to take 285 just to
0: get the initial invite to the finale. <laughs> That's kind of what I'm seeing. It's uh, crazy. So in past years
1: it's been 270-ish, yeah. 270, 275-ish to get an invite to the finale. That's an interesting statistic we should look that up yeah, if we I, could like we know we should what was the Wheeler cut line at
0: 150 from, you know, 5 years ago, then 4, then 3, then 2, then 1. I feel like I think I was in the squad two my um second year to the finale and i had like 287 or something i mean that's a pretty it's a decent score but like it's you're gonna
1: have to be above 290 to be in the top two squads this year i honestly think so i mean i was just looking at it in 292 um there's a bunch of people between 285 and 292 like 20 or 30 people Um, i don't have it up in front of me but i remember it feeling and looking like a lot but the, my point was more the the number of newer names that I've seen on the roster That's in good. the top twenty is they're now in the mix, and you know, I was down in twenty fifth with a two eighty nine or two eighty seven just prior to this match. Right. Well, you are moving up. Move, yeah, but I mean, up. but I, I mean, I, I that blows my mind. I spent all last season at two eighty nine until like the a little past this point, and I was still in like twelfth or fifteenth, which that was shooting really well throughout the year with an AG Cup win early in the season. And it still would it put me just off the top 10. Um, whereas this year, it put me in 22nd with about the same score. Yeah, and I'm like, okay, that means there's 10 guys. And what I'm thinking of is more at the top of the level. We now have double the competition. So the Any Given Sunday scenario, which you've talked about a multitude of times, we joke about it, like, hey, Any Given Sunday, somebody could win one of these matches. There are some people who are likely to win it we all now tussle it's not just hey you know Bushman's gonna go out and clean house it's well Bushman's gonna try to clean house Gossett is likely gonna try to clean house I'm gonna try you're gonna try um Clay Tate like all of these shooters are now there are 10 people who if you drop one you're out you drop two you're definitely out but and there's 10 more that. that you but don't know that but there's 10 about. more that you didn't even know uh Sam, Sam Geary. Geary. Geary Sam Geary comes in he's Gearing, gearing sam yeah. gearing was yeah. uh in second place yesterday um behind me and he was four point shot back of back of me and then i think it was what seven points back a of a couple of points a couple ahead of points like
0: third place yeah, or whatever third
1: place i mean and out of nowhere um and i think that's a good indication that we have shooters who are figuring it out you can do it too you know if you're struggling right now i heard a couple of people saying man i hope i get better you you will i mean I mean, if if you just hope that you will, that's probably not enough. You have to know that you will. And at some point, it's going to be going to matches like this where you just take your licks and you're just constantly observant about what caused that miss. And if you don't know, then start with the basics, answer it, and say, like, good example, I was going through and I had one shot miss high. It was one of the mistakes that I think I attributed of my three shots on one day. Uh, Day one, one of the shots I attributed to a miss was a high shot off of a rock. And I thought, hmm, I don't think I can't. At first, I was like, wow, that's just an errant bullet. And then I thought, no, the likelihood that it was high because of my dope is unlikely. The likelihood that it was me pulling a bad trigger is unlikely. I could have made a, a bad follow through and maybe yanked down a little, but I didn't feel that. But what I don't remember is looking at the turret and visually confirming that I was on the correct dope. I remember seeing the color meet the index line, but I don't remember looking at it and going, yes, 2.2 for a split second. Because I don't remember that, that means that I cannot be certain that that was not a just a simple dialing error, where I actually left it at 3, 2.3 instead of 2.2, and that was what caused my miss nothing to do with my fundamentals and that's the level of detail that i'm breaking down one shot i missed one shot and i have to go through that level of detail in order to know where else to improve i think the shooters listening to this should be doing something very similar find the a miss even if it's just the first miss that you had or the second miss that you had walk through everything that led up to that shot to go what could have been wrong what could have been wrong now what's the most likely thing to have been wrong I think it's hard, though, if you come off a stage
0: with four to six misses. Um, you, you're kind. Your brain is kind of melted down and, and you feel defeated. It's hard to come off the line and replay that scenario in your head sometimes. I mean, when you only miss one shot, you're you only got one thing to focus on. I think the biggest struggle with people that are newer or working their way up in this is they get frazzled because the stage goes so bad and they quote-unquote don't know why. And I think that's a bigger problem, not knowing what the potential failure modes are. You described your your one miss high saying that you don't think it was your trigger press. Well, why don't you think it was your trigger press? Because your trigger press is
1: solid. You practice it, you follow through. It's possible it was. It's possible, but but not probable. I haven't had that throughout the rest of it, and I was not under stress. Like the level of, like I can recount all the things that led up to that shot and know that this is unlikely because I was low stress. I was watching rounds impact center. I wasn't trying to push for time. I took an extra second to settle a bag, made my exhale. Like I can walk through all of those things. And I think this is where shooters who are newer don't necessarily, um, it's not that they can't do this stuff. They just uh, say it a different way. I think that newer shooters, when they get stressed or missed, they aren't thinking through what caused that miss. It's not just wind. It's They're not just okay high. with it. They kind of expected yeah. it to happen. Oh, I'm going to miss. Leave it at that. Yeah. No, it's not that you, you should have missed. It's that you didn't understand why you missed. Therefore, you won't be able to hit on the next shot more likely than not because of the miss not being the thing you're trying to correct. Um, you have a really bad trigger press or leaning into the gun from an angle, and you miss one left, and you go, oh, wind switched on me and then you make a wind call and then you sh- you fire a really good shot and it goes right back to where it should have and you don't miss. Well, you miss again but the opposite side. Now you well, think the wind's died off. Even as a top
0: even if you're a top-level pro shooter, you can still make a rookie mistake. I such made one as, such as mm-hmm. not making sure your rifle is level. So mm. my first stage was uh, we'll just say almost a throw away. It was relatively frustrating for me because um, I was inside of the hummer and it was angled surface with ribs like imagine um like a bed of a pickup truck, how it's got all those ribs. Well those were inside of the back of this Hummer. My bipod feet were interacting and not interacting with those as the truck was not perfect perfectly perpendicular to the target array. Yep. And I was getting into this truck and I didn't like where I was, so I had to go to a different spot than I planned and all while th- I wasn't focused on making my level perfectly green. Now the send It level has five levels of uh, sensor or five indicator lights, but the Brandt built um, ocular only has left and right one light. And sometimes if I'm if I see it flash green and then blue or green and red, I know I'm really close to green, so I'll send the shot. Uh, in this particular scenario, I only remember and I right after this stage I replayed it in my head. I only remember on my misses that my level was blue so i don't know if it was one light blue i don't know if it was two lights blue i could have been canted 10 degrees and i needed i needed far more wind on the far target than what was logical for it to even be possible totally agree and i was like what just happened and i got all the way back to the first target and i missed uh like a half a mil off the left edge and the only thing i can figure there is that i actually panned back and got on one of those ribs and i was still holding (laughs) three quarters of a mil and i'm like what i got off there i'm like I know I rushed that shot, but what the heck just happened? And yeah, and so then I'm stepping back and playing in my head, and this is what I I try to do. If I if I go away from a stage like that and I don't have the answer, that's almost more concerning than than what the actual answer was. So once I figured that out in my head, it took me like two minutes, and I'm like, oh boy, uh, that was like one of the most rookie mistakes I've done in the last ten matches. I can't explain why it happened. I mean, I was definitely a little bit jittery that morning for some reason it took me three stages to get rid of the shakes i'm not i'm not making excuses i just don't know why um i felt like i was hydrated uh, we got a decent amount of sleep all the, all the good stuff so um i'm just going to say that uh, i think level is important it's also i think it's grossly uh, under um under appreciated in your shot process like you need to make sure that your rifle is level especially on a long range stage and then, um, you can't trust your wind calls if it's not level. I mean, obviously I came off the stage and people asked me for my wind calls. I'm like, you don't want to know. <laughs> it doesn't make physical sense.
1: Yeah. Uh, I had that one. That was my, I, somebody asked me, Oh, so where did you hold? And I came out, I think, Oh, you know where it was? I think it was the Connex. It was the Connex or the long range. One of those two up there. I would, man, man. I want to tell you, but you would not believe me. <laughs> and because all the wind, so it was the connex. Now that I think about it, um, we were all holding right. Cause the wind was coming from the right for the most part. And I'm watching it. I'm shooting and I make my first shot impact. Okay. Next shot. Miss, huh? Keep going. And I ended up holding left by, I think it was up to point four left. And nobody at this point throughout the entire day has held left virtually nobody and i'm like man guys i would love to tell you but i think i would do you more harm than good (laughs) you you were like i don't want to hear. yeah man the i just watched the mirage and it was going hard left to right okay and that was the point at which i mean i had to fight through it luckily it didn't bite me on that but i had it you know it bit me a couple times so I think the major point of this one is, hey, I had a great time at this match. It's yeah, it was one awesome. of the most fun that you—it's the most fun you can have in Kansas that I'm aware of. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, it definitely doesn't have sandburrs or those little no. goat heads or whatever they're called. They don't have those, so that's a plus. Um, we did see some pretty wicked spiders. Yeah, weird. that was—I thought it was one of it was one of those spiders that looks like a tick or a tick that looks like a spider. I don't know which way it goes, but and he the scorpion. A scorpion all mixed thing. one yeah all mixed in scorpion, one scorpion spider tick um but it was a it's a really fun match you shoot mainly positional you use your bipod infrequently and a really cool inst- instance of this is it is a one bag match and that doesn't mean you only get to carry one bag it just means you only get to use one bag per stage per stage i really like that concept mainly because of the simplicity that it forces you i watched you you love using a tripod um, and you you know multiple times we've used multiple bags. But in this match, it puts the shooter in a rifle, a bag, go
0: type of mode. You know, yeah, like, I didn't use the tripod one time. There was maybe two stages where I was really, really tempted. I'm like, you know what? <laughs> These props are solid other than the tire, the middle tire one. Um, yeah, and I still chose to use a bag just for time constraints. I, I see I saw a lot of people time out on that one, and so I decided to hold over on that one, and I also decided to just go a bag, and it it worked out great. So, I would say, like, get good with the bag for a match like this. I mean, even stages where they said we could use a bipod on a rock. The tripod um, or a bipod, yeah. Bipod on a rock. Oh, I yeah, still chose yeah. to use the bag because I feel like you and I have done paper studies at 100 yards. And we know that if you settle in, it's as good or better than a bipod on a weird surface. So I am,
1: I am more confident off of a bag and a rock or off of a moderately stable prop than I am off of any other type of, including bipod, black yeah, or tripod. Yeah, I think it's
0: because it takes effort to get the bipod interacted with the irregular surface and get it natural, naturally yes. pointed and level. So you, what ends up happening is a lot of people aren't comfortable with that. So they end up taking the last little bit of level and torquing their grip to get it level, and then they break the shot instead of getting it natural. So now you've got three points of contact with the, the prop. you got two bipod legs and a bag. And Mm -hmm. you got to make sure all those are at their natural state. And with the bag, it's just intuitive. You drop the bag down, points up. You you throw your rifle on there and saw it into place. Mm -hmm. And uh, you're good to go. And then the rifle inevitably tracks straight back with bipod feet. I saw some people with spikes on bipod feet. And I could see them pan and those spikes didn't move. And I'm like, well, he's going to miss this shot due to quote-unquote windage. And, um, yeah, that's
1: what happened. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's not... uh It's not always an easy or intuitive game, and sometimes the thing that feels the most stable um, is actually a hindrance to your performance. And I think that's, to me, what this match points out. It's that you can be extremely successful in executing shots with simply a single support bag and your rifle. And I love the simplicity of that. Um, I wish we would have just said, hey, nope, no tripods, because I think it would have actually helped Jake Millard. He used a tripod on one stage and hmm. he didn't like it. What um, stage was that? I think it was the far left tires. Okay. Yeah. But that said, I understand why. Um, I mean, there were some areas where it made sense. The, the STC logo stage, you could use a tripod. They had one there yeah. for you in case you wanted to use it. I've re- really thought I about it too. really did as well. I'm like, I've shot this though. I know it's a little bit tricky to spot post shot because there's a tiny bit of flex in that thing as it comes front to rear that's it not left to right just front to back i know if i had so it to it, do again i think i would have used it just because that thing isn't as stable as it looks no it has just a tiny bit of motion and it's under recoil but it adds to the recoil that you're already getting so either you drive the rifle perfectly so the top left the, the ones that are up in the tops there's three positions up top one in the little eyelet and one down low those three top positions are the ones where they're a little bit uncomfortable with how much motion you get in the reticle and that said um i still think it was absolutely achievable i got nine out of ten several guys cleaned it um the target sizes weren't unreasonable for that that prop at all so i think it was actually one of the perfect stages well
0: if i go back there well, well i will I'm definitely going to practice tripod rear on that just to see what how much time it would take me. I know I could get it done in 90 seconds if the tripod was already deployed like that one was. So, I think I probably would have shot saw my first miss. I missed two on that one. I probably
1: would have saw my first miss if yeah. I would have been on a tripod. And that's true. I mean, I don't think you're not going to have the amount of recoil, but um, just movement. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, the, uh, it was a great match overall. My takeaways, and I think you know, to recap. You know one of the big changes that we felt we want to make is using more of the plate and i would still say i want to caveat this with if you're newer to this your goal should always be to bring a round back to center um, but that said there are conditions where if you are if you know you have a good zero you know you have a precise rifle and you're and starting at the high or the low of the possible wind scenarios. yeah and you get to either extreme who it was really fast and now it seems really low when it starts to change or if it changes expect that it's going to continue further than where you think you are and get to the other edge here's another quote that chris
0: Catalik so. said um we were up on the connex or on the rooftop stage uh yesterday very first stage and he said can you imagine a scenario where the wind goes you know to the left of 12 o'clock and i said no and he said well then that's our minimum and you probably should have a little more than your minimum you know there's no way it's going to be to the minimum. We already said it's not going to go past 12 o'clock towards 1130. And that made a lot of sense to me, and that's when I started thinking about this discussion of why are we, why are we trying to center up the bullet when we have an unknown scenario? I was first on that stage, so I was trying to center up the bullet. I should have tried to use the whole plate, and then yeah. uh, I would have definitely added two-tenths to my wind calls uh, on the far plates for sure by doing that and i probably would have hit one on the edge and i would say whoa i needed to add four tenths you know so i think uh that's what got me started thinking about it i I, i'm sure it's going to be uh lifelong learning like this whole precision rifle thing is and i will be studying on that the cool thing is the more we shoot the more experience we get the less we have that we need to focus on and the other stuff can happen autonomously while we really really pay attention to these other little details and i think you'll get there not you but the listeners will get there too they'll get to a point where all their fundamentals and i'm not specifically talking about fundamentals of marksmanship i'm saying all the fundamentals of competing in this game will get enough repetition so that 80% of them will be autonomous and comfortable and on autopilot, so that you can whittle that last 20% down to 15%, down to 10%. And then, then you just have to worry about the things like the course fire and the wind, wind scenarios. You know, they play mm-hmm. a big part, but they're they're really on the grand scheme of things, it's so much easier to screw up one of the nine other things too before you even get to a good wind call. Yep.
1: Know your basics, then worry on wind.